for the Scripture reading this evening, we turn again to Psalm 51, and we also turn to Psalm 32. Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. I want to read Psalm 51 first, and then Psalm 32. The text is going to be uh, especially verse 13, um, but 13 through 19 uh, covers the rest of the psalm for our little series, but the concentration will be on verse 13. Psalm 51, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me. With thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. Let me reread verse 13. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Now I also want to read Psalm 32. The sister psalm to Psalm 51. We'll touch on that in the preaching. Psalm 32. A psalm of David, maskil. So that means this is a psalm of instruction. So he's giving us instruction. So he's fulfilling verse 13. I will teach transgressors thy ways. That's what he's doing in this psalm. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed, happy 
is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. And now notice these verses. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. With my eye upon thee. That's what it means. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Psalm 51 is a psalm of repentance. And in the last two sermons, we have seen a little bit of what that true repentance looks like. David was a man who was convicted of his sin. He was a man who knew his sin to be a grievous offense. It was a deliberate rebellion against the good God of his salvation. And he was sorry for his sin. And he confessed his sin openly and freely. He even confessed his sin for the whole nation to hear. And he shows that by writing this psalm. And not only was David repentant, but David wanted to be cleansed of his sin. He wanted, yes, he needed to be cleansed of his sin, both from the guilt of his sin and also the filth of his sin. He wanted to be washed clean, both with the blood of Jesus Christ and the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And God, in his great mercy, communicated to David that he was forgiven, that his sins were washed away in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's especially what we read in Psalm 32. How happy is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sin is covered. God spoke to David that word of forgiveness. Well, this afternoon we see that with the washing away of sins, there is a certain response that follows. There are consequences, we could say, or a certain fruit of true repentance. Now, we might be inclined to say that forsaking sin is one of the responses of true repentance. But the reality is, forsaking sin is actually part of repentance itself. That's why we came to the Lord's Supper this morning, because we hate our sins, we turned away from our sins, we forsook our sins, and we also wanted the strength and the nourishment spiritually so that we could keep on putting away those sins and, and walk in a new and holy life. And the reality is, if you came to the Lord's Supper this morning, 
without the resolve to forsake your sin, but with the secret commitment to keep on with your sin, you ate and drank judgment to yourself. Forsaking sin, fleeing sin, is part of repentance. But now we see this evening that with the washing away of sins, there is also a certain response that follows. And part of the response is the response of joy. David mentions that in verse 8 and in verse 12. Verse 8, Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Verse 12, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Really, we could have an entire sermon just on this specific subject of losing the joy of salvation because of sin, and then being restored to that joy in the way of confession and repentance. We're not going to focus on that this evening, though. This afternoon, we're going to focus on another response to the washing away of sins. Not only is there the response of joy, but there's also this response, a desire to teach others. A desire that others join us in living this life of conversion, and a desire that others learn about the joy of salvation. That's especially what we have in verse 13. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. That's what we look at this evening, concentrating on verse 13. We take as our theme, David's commitment to teaching sinners. We look at that theme under three points. First, we look at the commitment, in, commitment itself. Second, we look at the one teaching, David. And then third, we look at the holy motive. David says in verse 13, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. David has the commitment, the resolve, to teach transgressors and sinners. And the word transgressors, just like we saw it a few weeks ago at the end of verse 1, the word transgressors has the idea here of rebels, rebellion, those who have rebelled against God. And the word sinners has the idea of those who have turned away from living for God. David is talking here about sinners like himself. These are the words he used for himself, my transgression, my sin. He was a transgressor and a sinner. And David now is expressing his commitment to teach sinners like himself who have been walking in sin. We should understand, therefore, that David is talking here about his fellow church member. That's the context here. David was a member of the church, and David has a concern for the other members of the church as well. I'll emphasize that in just a moment, but consider the fact that David writes this psalm for God's people to sing in the worship service. David writes this psalm for people like you and me. And even with the writing of this psalm for public worship, David is teaching. He's teaching us. He's teaching God's people about sin, about sin's consequences, about the need for repentance, and about the joy of salvation. He's teaching by sharing his own experience with sin. He's teaching you and me, who are sinners, who are transgressors, and we come to church and we sing these songs, and they communicate what also is in us. And David has his fellow church member in mind. I think that's very practical for us to pause and think about and, and, and to consider today. The point I would emphasize is that 
This kind of teaching begins in the church. Teaching transgressors begins in the church. We read a verse like this, and perhaps we immediately think right away about evangelism, teaching sinners out there about the ways of God. And, and there's a place for that. But this kind of activity, this kind of teaching begins in the church. And the question we can ask ourselves is this, are we doing that? Are we ministering to each other right here in church? We know the gospel of salvation. We know who we are as sinners saved by grace. Do we have this same commitment that David has to teach others, to share with others right here in church the ways of God? Maybe some who, who need it. We ought not to be surprised if there is little fruit in our evangelism efforts if we're not ministering to each other and, and, and getting that experience of, of witnessing to each other in the congregation, teaching each other right here in church. And particularly with regard to our sins, if we are simply turning our face away from the sins here in our midst and we ignore the reality of our sins and the sins of others, how are we even going to have the strength to be able to share the good news of Jesus with those outside? And that's going to smack of hypocrisy right on the surface of things. One of the greatest witnesses we have towards those outside and towards each other, and we experience this, one of the greatest witnesses we have is our honest dealing with sin and our serious pursuit of a holy life characterized by true love. One of the greatest witnesses we have of the power of God and the reality of, of the truth of God's Word is the reality of, of seeing repentance in people and in ourselves when it comes to our sins. Because when we see that repentance, that repentance is not something that comes from below. It's not something natural. It's something that very clearly comes from above. One of the things we also need to understand is this. David not only loves God and he wants to teach transgressors because he loves God, but he loves his brothers and sisters in the church. And out of love, he wants their good. David doesn't want to see them enslaved to sin. He doesn't want them to have their bones waxing old all the day long because they have God's hand heavy upon them. He doesn't want them to be in the misery of living a self-destructive lifestyle. He's been there. And it's miserable. Rather, he wants them to know the joy of salvation. He wants transgressors and sinners in the church to know that God is full of loving kindness and there is forgiveness to be found with him. This is not just a cold matter of what is right and what is wrong. This is not just a matter of keeping up with outward appearances. No, this is love. This is how love behaves. In love, David wants his fellow church members to be converted unto God. Congregation, we should understand this is one of the chief, chief purposes even of doing discipline work. And not just the formal discipline work that the elders are involved in, but the discipline work that we have together as brothers and sisters, calling each other out, going the way of Matthew 18, approaching each other when we see sin in, in our lives, in each other's lives, because we love each other, because we want to do each other good and in pity and love, knowing ourselves and our own sins and the misery of our own sins, we strive to help them. We want to do each other good. 
That's what David has in mind. David is committed to teaching transgressors. Well, now what we really want to ask is this. What is David committed to teaching? Well, he's committed to teaching transgressors God's ways. And what David is referring to is God's way of salvation. He's referring to God's way of showing mercy and grace to sinners through the blood of the Lamb. Remember this morning, we talked about David's prayer being purged with hyssop. Purge me with hyssop. Remove my sin with the sprinkling of the blood of the Lamb. And David says, I will teach transgressors this way. God's way of salvation. To get more detailed, we can say this. David is going to teach sinners about how God's ways are ways of righteousness and ways of mercy and ways of truth and ways of holiness. God's ways are ways of righteousness. God is not a God who winks at sin. He he will not be mocked. He is righteous in all His ways and He will not compromise His own glory, especially when it comes to His own people in the church. And rather than leaving sin unpunished, God has even sent His only begotten Son to bear the punishment of sin for us. God hates sin. God's wrath comes to certain expression in the punishing of sin. And for those who continue in their sin, there is no joy, there is no peace. Because God is righteous in His ways. He doesn't give that peace and doesn't give that joy. That's His own righteousness when one is walking in sin. And David, David doesn't say, well, look here, you're a member of the church, so you're good. You're an outward member of the church, you're a member of the nation of Israel, so that means you're okay, you can keep walking in sin. No, that's not the way of God. That's the way of death that leads to death. God's ways are ways of righteousness. But God's ways are also ways of mercy. Because God is the God who delights to forgive. All those who come to Him in the name of Jesus Christ through the shed blood of the Lamb, God will in no wise cast out. As I already said, God has sent His only begotten Son to bear the punishment of sin for His people. God's ways are ways of mercy. But God's ways are also ways of truth. God calls us to be honest with Him. That's what this is all about too. He that covers his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesses them and forsakes them shall have mercy. As David writes in Psalm 51 verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Not outward appearance, not external sacrifice going through the motions, but a confession of the truth. As the end of verse, as verse 6 puts it, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. You want me to be honest. And that truth is this, the honest confession of my sin. And the honest confession that God is good, exceeding good. And we are evil by nature. And this truth is the truth that we are very small. We, we are nothing. We have nothing but what God first gives us. And even our praises to God are, first of all, His workings of grace within us. As, as He kind of implies in verse 15, except the Lord opens my lips, 
my mouth is not going to show forth his praise. And the truth is also this. God is exceedingly glorious in this way that he has chosen to show mercy. He does wash away sin. And in the way of confession and forsaking sin, looking to Christ, he does shine his face upon us once again. And the truth is also this. Our lives ought to be singularly devoted to Him and His glory. He is worthy. That's, that's God's ways, that we confess these things. That's the way of truth. And then we can also add this. God's ways are ways of holiness. He works within His people these truths and to confess these truths and the desire to walk in holiness. God works within His people to live to His glory that they lay down their lives as expressions of thankfulness. That's the way of God. And that's the life of a person who is taught of God. That's what David is going to teach transgressors. God's ways. Ways of righteousness. Ways of mercy. Ways of truth. Ways of holiness. David is committed to teaching transgressors about Jesus Christ. Jesus who is the way, who is the truth, and who is the life. And I mentioned it already somewhat, but that's exactly what David is doing here in this psalm. Showing us God's ways. And this is especially what David does in Psalm 32. That's why we read Psalm 32 as well. Psalm 32 is the sister psalm to Psalm 51. And while Psalm 51 is, is a psalm that gives us David's confession, you might say, in the heat of the moment, when he's confronted with his sin and he's pleading for mercy, and he's right in that moment of being convicted of sin, Psalm 32 is a psalm that comes after that moment. And David, as it were, steps back and he looks at what God did and how God led him, and he writes the psalm. And, and that's why he begins, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. He's reflecting on everything. How he kept silence, and then his bones waxed old, and then he confessed his sin, and the Lord forgave him. And what David does in Psalm 32 is really fulfill this word that he makes in verse 13 of Psalm 51. He's teaching us in Psalm 32. It's, it's a mass skill. It's a psalm of instruction. Verse 6, Psalm 32, verse 6, For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. David is saying, people are going to read this psalm, they're going to read my experience, and they too will learn to go to the Lord with their own sins and confess their sins and enjoy His word of forgiveness. Verse 8, David writes, I will instruct thee and teach thee the way in which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye upon thee. And that's David speaking. That's David speaking to us. He's saying, I will teach you. I will teach you the way of the Lord, transgressors. And in Psalm 32, verse 9, David writes to us, Don't be like the horse. Don't be like the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in by bit and bridle, lest they come near unto me. And David writes that because he's saying, that was me. I was the mule. I was the one who was stubbornly resisting to confess my sin and turn to the Lord. Don't do what I did, David says, and refuse to confess your sin for nine months. Don't be like the horse or the mule. I'm teaching you. What should you do? 
Verse 10, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord's mercies. Trust His word when He says that He is the God of mercy and compassion. Fly to Him. Honor Him as the God who already knows all your sins and confess your sin to Him. When I confess transgression, then the Lord forgave me. Then thou forgavest me. So in Psalm 32, we read that because David is really in that psalm fulfilling the promise that he made in Psalm 51 verse 13. I will teach transgressors thy ways. David is committed to teaching sinners God's ways. Well, now having seen whom David is going to teach, transgressors and sinners, and having seen what he's going to teach, God's ways, let's now also look at David himself. Let's look at the one doing the teaching. Who is the one teaching? Well, he himself is a sinner. And he is one who knows the ways of God by his own personal experience. He is the one who knows what it is to have to humble yourself before God and confess openly and honestly very wicked and dirty sins. He is the one who knows what it is to humble yourself before God, confessing that you are nothing and have nothing of yourself. He is the one who knows what it is to feel that deep need for forgiveness and to to ask God for mercy through the shed blood of the Lamb. He is the one who knows what it is to flee to the Lord as his hiding place. Thou art my hiding place. And he is the one who knows what it is to flee to the Lord as his hiding place, even knowing all the while that it's that very same Lord against whom he is so grievously sinned. He is the one who's walked the path and who knows that in the blood of Jesus Christ there is forgiveness and there is peace with God. He is the one who who has experienced that glorious reality that God is merciful and He is good and He is very gracious in His dealings with sinners. And He is also one who loves God's people. He is one who, as a righteous king, wants the best for God's people. He doesn't want to shame them. He doesn't want to hurt them. He is one who loves the church and He is one whose heart is devoted to the Lord in thankfulness. You see, David here is like a man who's been sick with a disease for many, many years, an infirmity, we might think, of the body, a sickness. And he has spent years without relief, and his life has been spent with grief. And then suddenly, that sick man with that disease, as if by a wonder, comes across a medication that he's never heard of before. Maybe a medication that's just new on the market. But he takes that medication And that medication gives him full, immediate relief. And that man then is so overjoyed at the discovery that he has, the the new life he has found. That man is so overjoyed with getting his life back that now he wants everyone else who suffers from that same illness to hear about this medication. And he could hope that everyone else would take of that same medication and be healed because he's been there and he knows the joy of the healing that is is found and he wants that for others that's what david is expressing here in the text i put it that way because 
That's what also should characterize us, beloved. In our homes, in our families, with our children, with those in the community around us. I know the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. And it makes me happy. I know that my sins are forgiven. I know I have peace with God. I know I have life everlasting in Jesus Christ. Just to know the name of Jesus Christ, that changes my whole life. To know that God loves me and I am His and He is mine. To be the friend of God. To know Him, that is life eternal. And I want others to know these same things. Congregation, I experienced that this past week in a, in a small, unique way in my own family. You see, this past week, our family got baby chicks in the mail. Ten beautiful little baby chicks. But the sad news is that one of those baby chicks died. And it was just so crushing to see a cute, tender little baby chick be dead. And I know it sounds silly, it's just a chick. But it was also a very stark reminder of the reality of death. And I had to talk to my children about this. And I took the time to talk to my children about how death is not natural. Death is a, a result of the entrance of sin into the world. And we cried. And we talked about how life is in so many ways a valley of tears. And then we reflected on sin and how dreadful and hateful sin is and, and what sin does. And then I was able to talk to my children about Jesus and how we as Christians have the hope of eternal life because what our Savior Jesus did for us through his own life and death and resurrection we get to look forward to a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more death, where there will be no more sorrow and no more pain and no more possibility of death. And even in this life, though there is much death, we have hope. We have encouragement even in this life because Jesus is with us and Jesus is in control. And what a comfort that is, isn't it? What a glorious gospel is ours in the midst of a life full of sorrow and sin and death, we have Jesus. We have salvation. We have the hope of life everlasting. So that struck me in a fresh way this past week. And the point that I want to make with that is simply this. If we know that joy, don't we want to teach others about that same joy? Not only because I love my children and, and I want them to know the joy, certainly, but also because God has been so good in his dealings with us and, and we ought to recognize that even in the midst of shedding tears. And I want my neighbor to see God's glory and be comforted with who he is as the God of mercy in Jesus Christ who saves us from death. And we struggle with this, but this should be something that characterizes our life, shouldn't it? If I know the forgiveness of sins myself. And now I say all of that and now the point is, we should be applying this also specifically to our sins. To teach others about what we need to do with our sins. Go to God. Yes, as hard as it is, because you know, you've seen the, the filthiness of your sin. Go to Him. Confess your sins openly and freely to your Lord. Bring yourself under the spotlight of His holy law and forsake your sin and confess your sin. Do it. 
And then trust in the Lord fully and freely. Rely on the shed blood of the Lamb and hear His merciful word of forgiveness. He is merciful. He is gracious. He is more merciful than you or me. More merciful than your parents. He is the God of mercy. And so I ask you, are you not filled with this same desire that David had to teach sinners God's ways? What I would emphasize is this. You are equipped to do it. If you know God's ways yourself and you've experienced these ways of God, ways of righteousness and mercy and truth and holiness, then you're ready to teach others these ways too. Yes, you're a sinner, but you're a sinner like David and you know God's ways. This is what parents need to do with their children, isn't it? We teach them God's ways. This is what we do with our nieces and nephews. This is what we do in our marriages. We teach one another. We teach one another not only the seriousness of sin, but, but the way of confessing sin and, and pleading the atoning blood of Jesus Christ and, and resting in God's mercy and enjoying forgiveness. This is what we do in our friend circles at church when the occasion arises. We teach one another. We don't just ignore these sins and shelf them. We want each other not to walk under God's heavy hand and in misery and a self-hurting lifestyle. We want them to know the gospel and the joy of salvation. So we teach each other God's ways. And the question is, are we doing this? I don't understand sometimes parents who read the Bible at devotions, they simply close their Bible, they say the same rote prayer, and they think they are teaching their children God's ways, but they don't actually ever take the hand of their children and lead them to the cross of Jesus Christ so that they don't have those spiritual conversations in which they even talk to their children about their own sins and what the gospel means to them personally as a child of God, as their parent. And the question sometimes that even I think children have and young people is, do these parents even have the joy of salvation? Or is this all just a going through the motions, right? So let me do this for a moment here this evening from off the pulpit. I think I can share something of my own life here, just one small story. I remember watching a movie once, and the movie took God's name in vain. It, it took Jesus' name in vain in a very offensive way, the name of Jesus Christ. And beloved, I chose to ignore it until after the movie was done, and then I had no peace. And the Lord gave me no peace because I knew it was blasphemous. And I indulged myself in wanting to be entertained by the rest of the movie. And then I had to confess my sin to the Lord. I had to go to the Lord in the way of serious repentance. Because I took his name in vain. And the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. And I had to plead the mercies of God in Jesus Christ. And the Lord chastened me by having me feel His displeasure with my sin. He felt far from me. 
for that moment. And it was scary. It was miserable. And then I had to fly to him and I had to plead the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The mercies of God in Christ. I had to go to the cross and humbly ask God that in the multitude of his tender mercies, wash away this sin and do not hold it against me for the sake of Jesus Christ. And I had to plead, Lord, for Jesus' sake, for Jesus' sake, and the suffering he endured for me, show mercy, forgive, and restore to me the experience of thy favor. And the Lord did, for Jesus' sake. He graciously forgives. And it's amazing how he forgives. When we see our sins and how offensive it it really is and wicked it is, now, I share that with you because the point is, as humbling as this sin is, I can speak of this sin with my children, can I? And I can even speak of this sin with you as the congregation, can I? And with others? Because I do know the gospel. I know how awesome God's mercy is. I know that Jesus suffered and died for that sin so that I'm forgiven by God. And that's the joy of salvation. I know the joy of salvation. And I want others to know that same joy of salvation. And I want to use my life and use whatever mercies God has shown me to instruct others that they might enjoy that same joy of salvation too. And so I can say to you this evening, look, whatever sins you are walking in, turn from them. Repent, fly to the cross, forsake your sin, confess it honestly before God who who has already seen everything and ask God to forgive your sin for Jesus' sake. Children, young people, don't be like the horse, don't be like the mule, don't be stubborn in your sin. I've been there. It's miserable. Adults, singles, married couples, What should I say? Turn from your sin. Confess. Confess your sins. Call upon the Lord in the name of Jesus Christ. Trust in the Lord. And He will show you His glory in Jesus Christ. He is the God who graciously, marvelously forgives. And this is what we do as those who've come from the Lord's Supper. God calls us to be teachers. Parents to children. Husbands to wives. Wives to husbands. Fellow church members to each other. And also to those outside, sinners teaching sinners. That's how God would have it. But I think some people might raise their hand and ask the question, but is this entirely appropriate? Should we be sharing our experiences of sin and forgiveness with others? Should we really be admitting our sins to others? We have to be careful here, don't we? And I get it. A pastor has to be careful here too. But can't we also be honest? Can't we talk to our children at least about our sins and and as brothers and sisters in the family of God? Isn't this what what we need? Isn't this what our children need? Practical, down-to-earth instruction? Let me ask you personally. Are you thankful that Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 are in the Scriptures? Don't you yourself benefit from from reading this and, and having this instruction? Is it shameful of David to to write about how he was so stubborn and how it was suffering for him and how good it was for him to be honest with his sin? 
Don't you benefit from David's instruction? Won't others around you benefit from your instruction? And then maybe we think, well, what about my reputation? Oh, my reputation. Oh, yes. But congregation, I want sinners to be converted to God. That's more important than my reputation. I want God's saving power to be put on display. After all, it's not about me. It's about my Lord. Do I esteem the Apostle Paul less because he persecuted the church and killed God's people? Do I esteem Peter less because he denied his Lord three times? Beloved, isn't our attitude this? It's not about Paul. It's not about Peter. It's about the Lord and his mercy. By God's grace, they repented, and God showed mercy, and the glory goes to God. Look at his mercy. And that attitude has to be applied to our own lives, too. It's not about me. It's about the Lord. David says, it's not about me. It's about the Lord. And if we have that attitude, if we, if we love one another, and we love the church, and we love the joy of salvation, then then that's our response. That's David's response. So I want to take the time this evening as an applicatory sermon to encourage us in doing this, to treat, teach transgressors God's way. And the reality is, I think maybe we've experienced it, if someone is a child of God, they will see your love for them when you, when you try to approach them and, and do this thing and help them in love. And they will be thankful that they have people in church who, who love them this much. And if someone is not a child of God, well, they will harbor resentment. They will give you the stiff arm and reproach you. They will give their excuse and, and they will minimize. That they might complain you're getting all up in their business. But you see, beloved, it's in the way of sinners teaching each other about the ways of God, but the way of confession, the way of walking in the truth, the way of forgiveness through Jesus Christ, it's in the way of teaching sinners that God converts sinners to himself. And he also ex exposes impenitent sinners to the truth that as they stand, they're not in a right relationship with the Lord. That gets exposed too. And this is really the motive then, isn't it? I touched on it already. I can be brief. The motive is to see sinners be converted. The motive is love. And the motive is a, a zeal for the glory of God. And the motive is thankfulness. Now it's true, just because we teach someone doesn't mean that everyone will be converted. But the text does say, and sinners shall be converted. David has that confidence. God will use this witness to turn sinners to the Lord. James 5 verse 20 puts it this way, very peculiar. Let him know, James 5 verse 20, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. God does use our witness, our conversations to convert sinners to him. Isn't that what he's done with Psalm 51 and Psalm 32? The Lord uses that in my own soul to turn me. Congregation, we know the joy of salvation. We experienced it this morning at the Lord's Supper. Now, as an applicatory sermon, 
I leave you with this. Going forth from the Lord's Supper, may our hearts be so full of the gospel that we can't help but be committed to teaching others about God and his ways. His ways are glorious, ways of righteousness, ways of mercy, ways of truth, ways of holiness. We love one another, and his ways are marvelous. They are worthy to be spoken of, that others learn and enjoy with us the joy of salvation. So may the Lord bless us with that, that our hearts are filled with the gospel in our homes and families and in the work week that lies before us. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for these psalms and the instruction that Thou didst give to us, does Thou dost give to us through these psalms, and for inspiring David and giving him that willing heart to teach sinners We are converted unto Thee, Lord. This is Thy work. We pray that as we have experienced Thy ways, we might also share that with others and and other sinners might be converted unto Thee. And that we as a congregation might know Thy ways and exalt Thee for Thy goodness and mercy and righteousness and truth and holiness. And we we pray that we might be so full of the gospel and the joy of salvation that that this is something that lives in our hearts. Bless our children and each other and those outside of us who must yet be gathered into the church through a faithful witness by thy spirit given to us. Hear us and bless us preaching to our hearts and lives. For Jesus' sake we pray, amen.